Open up your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. Now, one of the things that uh, I know as a fact, and there, there is no secret about it, I get a lot of grief sometimes about a certain subject. And one of the subjects that I get, get a lot of grief with, Dave, what's one of them? You should know. I get a lot of grief, you know, about um, lengths of sermons. I know. Go figure. You know, we were a church that we start 10 o'clock-ish, and then we end at 11.30, so it's an hour and a half. And if you come from a traditional background, you're going, come on, I've got an hour, I'm in and out, I've got a pot roast in the oven. Most of you don't. You go to Panera afterwards or something like that. But, you know, you, it's like you got this time sense in your head of, Okay, I've got to be done in an hour. So that means the sermon, the homily, the message, whatever it's going to be called for the day, has got to be short and sweet to the point. And if you come from some traditional churches, 20 minutes, 30 is pushing it. Right? And so I know when you get, sometimes you'll get a 45 minute, and if I'm really long-winded, an hour, 50 minutes of a message. And some people go, man, you know what would make Missy Day far more attractive? Cut back on the sermon. Make it shorter. Make it sweet. Because you know what? Let's get, it, let's get it done. Just give me something to chew on, taste, and get out. Well, this morning, we're, we're going to look at Nehemiah chapter 8. And Nehemiah chapter 8 deals with that very subject. This very subject. So this, this week, I'm going to try reading it because there's fewer Jewish names in it. So um, I'm going to do my absolute best. You know, last week and the few weeks before, it was like, I'm not trying it. So, hear the word of the Lord. Chapter 8, 403. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And they read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday. Get ready. No lunch break today. In the presence of the men and women and all those who could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on the wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mathatiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Manasseh on his right hand, and Pedadiah, Mishael, and Melchiah, Hashem, Hashbadanagai, and Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and he opened it. All the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen and Amen, lifting their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Jamim, Jam- 
Hubub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, um, him and him, and Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, and the Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remain in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly. And they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. He said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For the day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions and make great rejoicing because they understood the word, that words that were declared to them. On the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people and the priests and Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded, Mo, commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went out, brought them, and made booths for themselves, each on his own roof and in the courts and in the courts of the house of the God and in the square of the water gate and in the square of the gate of Ephraim. And the assembly of those who had returned from captivity made booths and lived in the booths for, from the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, to the day the people of Israel had, had not done so. And there was great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. This is the word of the Lord. At the center of revival, at the center of revival, of the change in these people's heart was the exposition of Scripture, the teaching of Scripture. And as long as I am here as your pastor, the Word of God is going to be the centerpiece of all that we do. We are going to be teaching it. We're going to go through whole books. We are going to take our time. We're going to chew on it. We're going to wrestle with it. We're going to create study guides. We're going to, we're going to just eat the Word of God. We are going to take our time by sitting in it as a community for a long time. I'm looking at the clock already going, I've got a long ways to go. But this is critical to our growth as Christians and as a church. Our, I believe that our, our text just teaches us that this is our theme. Our theme is a strong emphasis on God's Word is the primary mark of spiritual renewal. An emphasis, a strong emphasis on God's Word 
is the primary mark of spiritual renewal. It is not the worship band, okay? Many churches focus on the worship band. If we could have a glitzy worship band, not that ours isn't, but if we could just have a rocking band with, you know, a bunch of this and of that and singers that are hot and sexy up in front just making you cry and singing, if we could get that, that will create the church. That, that's what will make a healthy, growing, spiritual, renewed church. Maybe you're the kind that just needs a really cool drama up in front where, you know, you, you maybe kind of laughed into submission. Or maybe you're, you're the kind that just, man, I am looking for a church that has a great uh, drop-off children's kind of thing. Or maybe uh, I need something for my high schoolers, my junior hires, or that. Maybe that's what I'm looking for in a church to get spiritual renewal in my family, for me, or for my kids. The primary thing is the Word of God. That is what brings about true, lasting change. And we've seen it all down throughout the centuries, that God has gone through these cycles where His Word has just been neglected and the spiritual condition of His people have just gone to pot. Over and over, you see this through the Old Testament, that there's just a really great time in Israel's history where they were loving and worshiping God because they were submitting to his word, and then all of a sudden another king comes along and Israel kind of goes their own way, and what happens? Depravity and pain and stuff like that, and along comes another king or prophet or priest who brings renewal. There's a story about Josiah. He is a young king. He was only 16 years old, and his father and his grandfather were wicked men, wicked kings. And Josiah brought about, as a 16-year-old boy man, he brought about tremendous renewal. 2 Kings 23 and 24. Check it out. Read what this young man did. The priest found a copy of God's Word and, and Josiah just called the people to repentance. And revival ensued. Same thing happened in, in the Reformation. And at the very heart of its revival was the revival of God's Word. And it just took off. Just changed the whole world. The priests were the only ones who had access to God's Word. And most of them were ignorant of its content. So you get people like John Wycliffe and William Tinsdale who labored to get the Bible translated into common English. Martin Luther translated it into German. John Calvin started preaching expository sermons explaining and applying the Word of God to the people in Geneva. And the Reformation theme, sola scriptura. Scripture alone renewed God's so what is going to change our church? What's going to change your life, your marriage? Sola Scriptura. The same is true with the Puritans. J.I. Packer, when talking about the Puritans, said, intense veneration for Scripture as the living word as the living word of the living God and a devoted concern to know and to do all that it preaches was the Puritan's hallmark. The word of God, an intense veneration, is what brought about transformation and reformation. So Nehemiah 8 shows us 
four marks of spiritual renewal related to God's Word. And the first thing is this. The first thing is, for spiritual renewal, God's people must read His Word. God's people must read His Word. The people gathered and asked Ezra to bring uh, the book or the scroll of the law of Moses, which God had given to Israel. And he, they read it publicly from dawn to noon. And the people stood receiving. And as they were hearing it, what happened? They wept. But first they had to read His Word. Here's the deal. God could have communicated His words, His, His will, His desire in any other form. He could have sent an angel to come and communicate it to us. But... And that, that would have saved Tyndale or uh, Wycliffe, the Bible translators, hours and hours and hours of work. He could have given, had his message verbally passed on, communicated from generation to generation to generation. But yet, God chose that his message of salvation be written down for us to read from generation to generation. And I would argue that the strength of our church the strength of a local church will be in direct proportion to the number of people in our church who read and study God's Word and then live obediently to it. The strength of Missio Dei Church is going to be in direct proportion to how many of you are in God's Word on a daily basis. And not just reading it like, oh, this is a good love novel, but studying it enjoying it, meditating on it, and then living obediently to it. And we live in a culture where almost everybody, almost everybody knows how to read. And those who can't read can readily learn how to read. We have systems. But yet, the average American Christian spends far more time playing pointless computer games, sitting in front of the TV, spending gajillions of hours on the internet. In fact, per day, one, one government agency reports that we spend at least 2.73 hours watching TV every day. Some of you are going, that's not me. Well, it's probably spent in other areas. So don't make yourself so righteous. Instead of studying the words that God has given us. Could you imagine what would happen if instead of turning on the stinking tube, that we said, you know what, let's, let's pour over God's word for 2.73 hours. Some of you are going, I can't do it for five minutes. Starting and working towards a love and so for, for the good of your soul, I would challenge you to get into it. Find a plan. And not just find a plan, find a group of people who are willing to join you in that plan. If it's reading through the whole Bible in a year, find a group of people and say, hey, would you hold me accountable? Would you also do this with me? If it's just, man, let's, in our small group, let, let's hold each other accountable to not just having a really nice time where we have brownies and apple pie and all kinds of other good food, but let's be a people who are diving into God's Word and just 
pouring ourselves into it so that it could just minister to our soul. So, and then just say, let's read it and enjoy it, but let's also live obediently towards it. The second thing that we see, the second principle for spiritual renewal is that God's people must reverently hear His Word expounded. Having ears that work does not guarantee they really hear. Exactly. Just because you have two ears does not mean you can hear. You even hear Jesus often say, He who has ears, let him hear. He's saying, listen, I've given you the gift of two ears. Now listen to me. And these people, these people listened to the word that was just expounded upon. The people in this text were both attentive and they were reverent to the word of God. Verse 3 mentions their attentiveness and verses 4 and 5 shows their reverence. They stood up as, as if they were to they were receiving a royal visitor. And there are even some churches to this day that when the word of God is read, what happens? They stand. Because these are the very words of the most holy God in your presence. And there's a certain reverence. It's as if a holy, reverent, royal guest comes in our midst. Your eyes are when the President of the United States stand, comes into Congress, what happens? Somebody pounds something in the back and they make an announcement, the President of the United States, and what happens? Everybody stands. When a bride comes into the room, the back door is open, what happens? The mother stands up. Everybody turns around and greets that person walking down the aisle, watching every step. But yet, when it comes to the Word of God, do we have any kind of reverence do we have any kind of real attentiveness to the Word of God? Or are we those drowsy people who can barely make it through a sermon, but they can sit through Seinfeld and repeat every word? The Word of God is to be listened to attentively. It is to be revered as the most holy text we have. And our attentiveness stems from our reverence. If we maintain our, our reverence for God and the fact that He is speaking through His Word, we will pay attention. And I'm going to just give you a little hint. And this comes from my tradition from back home. As a kid, we on Saturday nights had to be in at a certain hour. Because the next day was the Lord's Day. We had to be in. Because my parents wanted us to not fall asleep in church. They wanted us to be on our best and be able to hear and gather as much. But yet, in our culture, the weekend is for who? You. Your life. My enjoyment. I'm off. Can I encourage you? Go to bed. So that the next day, you wake up maybe at 7 o'clock for a change on the weekend, and you are just, all right, I'm awake. I'm ready to go. I'm, I want to be engaged. I want to love. I want to receive God's word because these are his holy words. 
I want to be attentive and I don't want to be falling asleep. I want to receive as much as I can today because these are God's holy words and they are going to transform my life. They're going to transform my marriage. They're going to transform our world. I want to receive from God. Spurgeon, in his book, Lectures to His Students, said this about how we should be listening. Supposing you went to hear the will of one of your relatives read, and you were expecting a legacy from him. Imagine, there's a million dollars potentially in it for you. You would hardly think of criticizing the manner of which the lawyer read the will, would you? Rather, you would be attentive to hear whether anything was left to you, and if so, how much. That's the way to hear the gospel preached. So if I give a terrible sermon, hopefully you'll still hear the word of God. And hopefully you listen in such a way that you are hoping to glean something from it that will change your life. Another thing for spiritual renewal is this. The Word of God must be taught. Must be taught. Verses 7 and 8 report that these men who stood up at the platform with Ezra explained the law to the people. So it made some kind of sense to them. Ezra probably read a section and then his assistants, perhaps in smaller groups, would expound on that section to make the meaning clear to, God, to the people. Much of the Bible is plain to anyone who can read. Much of it is. Mark Twain is reputed to have said this, it's not the sections of the Bible that he couldn't understand that bothered him. It was the parts that he could understand that troubled him. But there are some sections of Scripture that are difficult. You know, even Peter said, man, what Paul is talking about, I, I barely understand. That guy's confusing. He, what he's saying, the way he's saying it, it's confusing. And even Jesus sometimes, he kind of, how he taught, he kind of talked in a cloaked manner because he was, there were people that he didn't want to understand what he was saying. And so even Jesus, we've we got to listen carefully to what he's saying. So we've got to understand how to properly apply the Bible, how to interpret it. And to, so to in, apply the Bible, we've got to interpret it properly. And if to properly interpret it, you must understand what the author meant for the people to whom he is writing in the context of that day. And since the Bible fits together as a unified whole, it's not just the, the individual things that can be read separately, you must get the grasp of everything that the Bible teaches about a subject by comparing Scripture with Scripture and interpreting the Bible by itself. You've got to know the whole, whole length and breadth of Scripture. And for some of us, we're going, I don't even know the beginnings. Start. For us to understand what biblical manhood and womanhood, we've got to understand from Genesis through Revelation. We've got to understand the relationship with Jesus as, as the groom with the bride. And we see that again in completion, in, in revelation. We see these beautiful things. We see in Genesis this, and we see in all these pieces, they all fit together. Nothing is in isolation. 
even Nehemiah, is critical to our understanding of the mission of God in Mokina for today. And it fits together with what Paul was teaching in Corinth. What was said in the book of Romans, everything fits together. A lot can be said about Bible teaching, sound Bible teaching. Real quick, like, it's got to be accurate, it's got to be cleared, and it's got to be applied to life. What is taught has got to be accurate. That means whoever is teaching that morning or in your Bible study has got to be accurate. And that means that person has got to study the Scripture. They just don't show up and say, all right, well, here's the questions for the day. What do you think? That's danger. And your little radar should be going off saying, this person has no clue. They haven't studied it yet. It's got to be accurate. Then it's got to be clear. And then it's got to be applied to your life. It's got to be applied to your life. John Calvin, the great theologian, did not view theology as an end to itself. It's not just like, hey, I've got this information and I'm really accurate with this information. It's got to be, and it can't just stand alone over there on the shelf. It's got to be applied to your whole life. And he said this. Craig, could you pull, pull it up? John Calvin, number one. When I expound Holy Scripture, I must always make this rule that those who hear me may receive profit from the teaching I put forward and be edified unto salvation. If I do not procure the edification of those who hear me, I am a sacrilege, profaning God's Word. And then he goes on to say, the Word of God is not to teach us to prattle, not to make us eloquent and, not to, and, and subtle, and I know not what, it is to reform our life so that it is known that we desire to serve God, to give ourselves entirely to Him, and to conform ourselves to His goodwill. The, the purpose of theology and knowing good sound theology, to know our Bible, is to transform us so that we are conformed to His will. So we're no longer conformed to this cult. We're transformed and then conformed to His will. That's the purpose of good theology, good Bible teaching, good preaching, is so that people are transformed. Your life is different today than it was yesterday and the day before. And next week you're looking forward because you too want to be changed again. Higher levels of glorifying God in your life in your marriage, in your parenting, in your friendships, in your work, in your finances, in your sex life, in your this, in all these kind of things. It's all, man, I desire to be more like Jesus. Lord, give me your word. Transform me. May your Holy Spirit minister to me. Convict me of sin. Bring the light of Jesus into those dark places. And Lord, make me anew. Again. But sound Bible teaching requires a commitment hard commitment on the part of both the teacher and the one who is being taught. Those who teach must be committed. I have got to be committed to teaching you the sound word of God. I have got to study 
Your small group leader needs to study. You as a husband who is the pastor of your own home needs to study. You as a sister in Christ need to study. Because you know what? You have a ministry as well. All of you do. You are going to be teaching with your life and your words somewhere, somehow, tomorrow, as soon as you leave. But it also requires a certain commitment to those who are being taught. We have got to be committed to His Word, trusting that His Word is vibrant. You see this principle in eight. And here's the fourth one. For spiritual renewal, God's people must respond to His Word. A responseless Christian is a dead Christian. And I'm talking about spiritually dead. It is spiritually dangerous to just study God's Word without the goal of an obedience response. Obedient response. And here I I see a number of different ways that these people's lives were transformed when they heard God's Word. Here's one. In 8 verse 9. Repentance. These people wept when they heard and understand God, understood God's word. They wept because they realized how much they sinned against God. A response to God's word, even this morning. Maybe some of you are going, I am breaking God's word, his heart, because I am not enjoying him in his word. Repent. May it, may it break your heart. That's okay. Because here, here's the next beautiful piece. Next response was that there was joy in 8, 9, and 10. You see this, that the clouds of just godly repentance were just kind of blown away. They quickly broke up, allowing the, just the sun of godly joy to penetrate deep into their lives. God never wounds us to hurt us, but only to heal us. Discipline is not for the purpose of forever being in punishment, but for restoration and health and healing. And the joy of knowing that He has forgiven all of our sins and that we are His people should fill your heart, my heart, which is such amazing joy day in and day out. Joy! The joy of the Lord is your strength. Did you hear Him say that? The joy of the Lord is your strength. Come out of your clouds of doom and gloom and repentance and know that your sins are forgiven. The joy of the Lord is your strength. He's the one that upholds you and keeps you on the straight and narrow. He's the one that sustains you in your times of temptation and trial. Be glad. Have great joy about that. But then, here's the next deed. It's not just this inward kind of, oh, woe is me, I I broke God's heart. Oh, he has forgiven me, there's great joy. This kind of personal, yay me kind of moment. The next thing is that Ezra and Nehemiah reminded the people that they are to send out portions as part part of the sacrifice to others 
who are not prepared. There's this, the next response is just good deeds. Those who, who have nothing, those who aren't prepared, go out and bring, bring the good portions. Go out and give. God's word should produce compassion in our hearts for those who are needy. And his salvation is to purify to himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Zealous for good deeds. Is that something? Out of response to what Jesus has done for you, are you zealous for good deeds? I am just waiting to give this away. I am waiting to do this. I can't wait to do this. I, out of response to what Jesus has done for me, I, I want to give. I want to serve. I want to live my life in such a way that I am just being consumed by God and loving people. There's the next piece is just plain old obedience. They heard that there was a festival that had not been observed since the time of Joshua. It's the festival of booths. And they heard this and they go, are you serious? We haven't celebrated this national holiday in years? Since, since Joshua came into the land of Canaan, we have not, we have not celebrated that. God's word gave, gives us direction to do this. And since it's only two weeks away, they went out and they prepared for this festival. They brought in as many of these olive branches and these things and they created these temporary shelters everywhere that you can look they were out there and this feast commemorated the harvest that god had just provided and the deliverance that he he had granted to moses and this was a new harvest in their life god has provided his word again and let's look at the harvest that we will see and they obediently commemorated that day. That's why we go camping every year. No, it's not really, but if it works, show up next year in June or July, whenever we have it. They celebrated out of obedience. And lastly, the Feast of Booths lasted a whole week. And each day consisted of more reading of God's word, more of his law, and culminating in a solemn assembly on the final day, a day of fasting. This was a picture, a response of worship. Every day and day. And you hear this in Acts chapter 2. Every day they did what? They met in the temple courts. They couldn't wait to get more of it, more of it, more of it. Feed me more. And I want to worship God where? In the temple courts where worship happened. And they were worshiping the true Messiah, the one who had come. And he died for our sins and he was raised to the right hand of God the Father. He's not dead, he's alive. And they were worshiping. They were wanting to learn and they were worshiping. There was great rejoicing as they were hearing the word of God. As they camped out in these temporary tents, these shelters, they reflected back on God's faithful dealings with them as a nation, in spite of all their sins. And they were filled with such love and gratitude toward God for His gracious dealings for them. They worshipped. Reading and studying God's Word. 
preaching, even for me, preaching God's Word should produce in us a heart of worship as we reflect on His abundant mercies. And not just the narrow version of what is worship, but singing on Sunday mornings. A life of worship. But yes, as we sing songs, we should sing loudly out of response to God's abundant mercies that He never fails us, He never leaves us, He loves us, carries us like a father, protects us like a hen under His wings. He's the father of the pair of the prodigal son who comes running to us when we come back home. And out of that, we just worship. We just worship. He killed the fatted calf in celebration. That's the same God for us. So how do we Respond to this. Man, I, I could end with a ten-point sermon right now. Which could take us to midday. But I think each of you know how you have to respond. And if you're part of the Missio Dei family, we call it a family for a reason. It's a covenant community of people to encourage you in your walk of growing deeper in love with Jesus Christ through His revealed Word in an intimate community of friends and family. Connect. Ask for accountability. Please don't everybody ask me. Grow in God's Word. Grow. Meditate on it, day and night. Savor God and His words as a royal visitor every time you open this, this book. Royal visitor is coming to bring me a message. I can't wait to hear what He has to say. This is the word of the Lord and God's people say, thanks be to God. And I hope that's true. As we Hear the word, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, I pray this morning that we are people who are ready to respond to your word. Right now, God. God, I know that in our midst today, including myself, there are some of us who are just far away in this other land of self. I so need to hear your words again today and say thanks. Thanks be to God for your word. So God, I pray for those brothers and sisters who are hungering and thirsting but yet going to other places to find their fulfillment and joy and nourishment and only to come back hungry and more thirsty. God, would you give us a craving for your word that is only uh, 
fulfilled with you. And God, may in our times of meditation on Scripture, Lord, may it bring us to a place of repentance on a daily basis. Lord, for this, I repent. Lord, forgive me. And God, would you bring us to a place of joy, knowing that you have forgiven our sins and released us, that your your mercies are new every morning, again and again and again, that you offer the good news to us to refresh our souls, to bring us to deeper dependence on you, Jesus. God, may that drive us to places of serving you through good deeds, with our time, our talent, our treasures, with our whole self. That we love you, Lord, and we love our neighbors as ourselves. And God, may it move us to a place of just obedience and worship, that when you say something, we do it. Without a question, that we trust you fully with our lives because we are yours. And may that not just be a glib confession, that we say, Lord, I am yours. And I will live obediently, as uncomfortable as it may be in my flesh today. I am yours. Lord, help me to live obediently. Help me put to death the deeds of my flesh. So that I may live anew again today. That I may enjoy the resurrected life that you have given me. That I'm no longer dead, but I'm alive with Christ. And God, may our lives be one of worship. Deep adoring, loving worship. Jesus, we love you. God, and I pray that this church, this church may have a deep reverence and veneration for your word in such a way that it compels us to move obediently in worship, in joy. So hear our prayers, Lord. Bless your people. Bless your people. Pray this in Jesus' name.